I think one of the things I've learned is that like number one, every organization, every provider will use a lot of these terms either differently or, or interchangeably. And I don't quite think the industry has really clarified, um, let's call it a universal way of looking at these topics. Um, mm -hmm. But I do think ultimately um, there are all kinds of you know, technologies or technology enabled services that um, exist on a spectrum in healthcare now. And I think more and more organizations realize they're going to have to implement these types of technologies um, at some point um, to kind of support the patient across the entire continuum of care, across the entire patient journey. Um, but I think a lot of organizations have started in different places. Um, so maybe Alan be good to start with kind of definitions then, I guess. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think, I think, or maybe did you want to start with, with myth number one and then, then we can go into definitions. Sure. And, and I actually think myth number one uh, is a perfect segue to get into some of these broader definitions and, and more specific definitions. Uh, the first myth that we're going to talk about is uh, we hear it all the time, but digital patient engagement is synonymous to uh, or synonymous with telemedicine and or virtual care. Um, and there's a lot of terms in there that would probably be best if we could define them. So uh, maybe Josh, if, if you could talk to kind of the definitions behind what is telemedicine, what is virtual care, and where does digital patient engagement fit in uh, in, in both of those spaces? Yeah, I, I think, the, I mean, the, the, like the, I think the Oxford definition, um, as you've kind of alluded to of telemedicine is, you know, the remote diagnosis and treatment of patients using telecommunication technology um, but that's very broad, right? So technic technically, if you speak to a patient by phone and manage an issue that's telemedicine, more recently, if you're using video visit technology to, to manage a patient issue or have a, an appointment with them, that's telemedicine. Um, and, and so I, I think the way I think about telemedicine and um, is just the idea that are there certain in real-time interactions that you would normally do in person that can be done remotely through typically, I call it telephone or video conferencing. I think that's probably a pretty good definition of it. Yep. And, and uh, go ahead, Alan. So an app, would that then fit within telemedicine in, in some regard? It's it's using a, a telecommunication it platform. It, it certainly if, could. If the app was Zoom, I guess so. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's where it gets it gets a little bit fuzzy because you know, if, if we're talking to provider and we're talking about, if you use a very general term such as using an app to connect a physician and a patient or to facilitate communication um, without going into details of what type of communication or interaction we're talking about, uh, you know, a provider who's used a telephone or, or a video visit service will think, okay, that's, that's kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, the devil's in the details, but I can, but you can see why a lot of times when we talk to providers for the first time, they might think, oh, I already have a video visit service. Right. You know, maybe I don't need something like seamless, even though really video visits are not core to what we do. It just, mm -hmm. when it comes to the umbrella of uh, communicating with the patient or engaging them with technology, a lot of it just sounds kind of similar. And I, and, and I can appreciate that. Mm -hmm. and, and then, so another uh, kind of broad term that's kind of this umbrella to all of these technologies is, is this kind of new space of virtual care. You know, it's, it's expressed all around the internet and around research as a broad term that encompasses all the ways that healthcare providers remotely interact with their patients. So 
sounds very similar to telemedicine, um, but it could actually include telemedicine. So live video, uh, it could even be audio, instant messages, uh, any way to communicate with patients and really get them care remotely. So that's kind of uh, how I look at virtual care and how virtual care is kind of being described uh, on the internet uh, these days. So looking at these two definitions, telemedicine and virtual care, where does digital patient engagement fit in and, and how do you kind of view uh, digital patient engagement either separate from those two terms or um, really as a, a specific inside of those terms? Yeah, I think the way I view it now is like virtual care is very much the umbrella term for like pretty much anything virtual or digital that you you do to engage with or communicate with the patient. So for me, at least, I would put telemedicine under the umbrella of virtual care. I'd probably put digital patient engagement under the umbrella of virtual care. I think the way I would describe it is telemedicine is when you're using technology to actually deliver the real-time communication. So if you're having an audio phone call, if you're having a a video chat with the patient to replace the in-person real-time communication, that's telemedicine. And for me, I would say digital patient engagement is how do we actually use technology to interact with patients in between those real-time encounters? Hmm. So the idea is that Seamless as a digital patient engagement platform is engaging with the patient, you know, between those visits. So, you know, before you go to the hospital for your surgery, Seamless is the digital platform that is reminding the patient of what to do is the platform that's checking in with the patient to track their progress, delivering, you know, asynchronous education to the patient by text or, you know, um, illustration or video. And then when they go home, Seamless is the platform that's checking with the patient to, to, you know, get them to track their symptoms, their patient reported outcomes, um, warning signs, take photos of your incision. All of these interactions are happening in between actual visits with the healthcare provider. And so I think the idea is that telemedicine is great for replacing the in-person communication, especially during COVID and digital patient engagement like Seamless MD covers the, the rest of the time, which is frankly, frankly, 90, 95% of the patient journey, you're not with your doctor or nurse in real time. You're actually trying to take care of your health, you know, on your own. Um, Seamless is that communication or, or that, that, that platform for the rest of the, the continuum basically. Got it. Yeah. So Digital patient engagement, if, if I'm understanding correctly, is kind of this automated virtual care uh, that is meant to guide the patient in the background between these real-time visits, whether they're telemedicine uh, or, or in person, um, the way that's being conducted. Basically, if you look at kind of the end goal, how do we get the patient, each patient, the right care at the right time? Maybe a video visit, maybe telemedicine is absolutely useful uh, to, to connect with the patients, but there's got to be something that's guiding the patient along the way, getting them care in the background in between these visits. And that's kind of where digital patient engagement fits in. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other couple of things to mention is, you know, number one, uh, in many ways, digital patient engagement might replace aspects of telemedicine and virtual care, right? So if we can nudge the patient along or monitor them and catch something earlier and help a patient resolve the issue, sometimes even on their own. So, you know, and seamless, if we can, track that a patient is constipated and then serve them up constipation content. Well, maybe they didn't need an actual telephone call or video visit with their care team to address the constipation because we preempted that with the, the patient engagement piece. So there's lots of ways in which good patient engagement digitally can replace telemedicine. But the other thing I, I think about Alan is it gets fuzzy because 
there's a lot of overlap between I think what different platforms can do. So, so as you know, it's seamless, you know, we, you know, we've enabled um, video visits on our platform too, right? Either we hook up to and integrate workflows with existing video visit platforms the health system uses, or maybe they want to use ours out of the box. And so I, I don't view seamless though as a telemedicine provider. It's just that it makes sense that since the patient is so engaged with seamless, some of their providers might want the patient to engage in video visits through the seamless platform because they're already engaged with, with seamless um, normally. Um, but again, that doesn't mean that we're trying to turn seamless into a telemedicine platform. It just, it's just that the patient journey starts, you know, growing, you know, pretty, um, pretty beyond the in-between the visit piece. We can actually start helping the in, the in-visit piece. So anyways, that's where it gets hazy because all of this really connects along the spectrum. Totally. Yeah. There's, there's certainly a lot of overlap. Um, and that actually kind of fits in really well with myth number two, which is, uh, you know, is digital patient engagement pointless because there are video visits. And I think we've already kind of gone over that answer and, and debunked that myth. But uh, just to summarize it again, digital patient engagement is a, a, a useful tool in figuring out, does the patient actually need a video visit? So it's doing kind of that background screening effort of finding out, you know, what are the symptoms the patient is experiencing? Uh, what is, you know, all the, the different measures that we're collecting from patients, whether it's other patient reported outcomes like pain or compliance to certain uh, milestones that the, the patient is following. So really helping the providers to understand, is a video visit necessary at this point in time for the patient? Or can I just rely on these, you know, wound photos that I'm seeing from the patient ahead of time and, and follow that automated journey, ensuring that the patient is getting the right education based on uh, what they put into the system? Do you have anything to add there? Or I think we've maybe covered myth number two, but. Yeah, I think the thing I'll add is that I would say video visits been around a long time and uh, and it, it's, it's, it's kind of the low hanging fruit when it comes to, to virtual care more broadly, just because it's something that replaces an existing workflow. So, you know, in-person real-time communication visits is an existing workflow for providers and patients, right? They're used to coming into the office or the hospital and having these meetings. So the fact that, you know, especially during COVID, um, video visits increased so that with that type of encounter could continue um, remotely, it makes sense. So that's a low hanging fruit. But here's the thing, a video visit is not, is, is just an in-person visit done digitally. So a video visit is not gonna magically uh, improve a patient's outcome. Right, having the visit done virtually doesn't all of a sudden prevent a readmission or all of a sudden uh, reduce length of stay or, or improve a patient health outcome. And so, I think what um, organizations are realizing is that you know, video visits were kind of step one, low hanging fruit, the easiest thing to digitize. And step two, really, is digital patient engagements. Okay, well, now that we've digitized the um, real time encounter, how do we digitize everything in between these encounters? Mm -hmm because that's really where the patient falls off track. And then to your point, Alan, if we can actually, you know, combine digital patient engagement with telemedicine or the video visits and really support the patient digitally the entire way, we're gonna pick up a lot of things that you mentioned. We're gonna actually gonna find out sooner, maybe they need a video visit sooner, maybe they don't need a video visit. Um, but I think the, the, the thing that they realize is that these are really complementary pieces, but I think it's understandable that video visits really were the low hanging fruit for many years, especially during COVID. And I think what we're finding from our partners, Alan, is that the folks who already had video visits in place are kind of now seeing digital patient engagement as the next thing they add on. Maybe for the folks who haven't done anything digital yet, 
video visits are kind of the thing they have to do first before they go to the digital patient engagement. I think that's happening too. Yep, certainly. So it's like video visits is part of the new workflow of the, the digital healthcare. And then digital patient engagement is kind of the workflow optimizer to, to make sure all the, the pieces are even smoother and, and even around like time management, for instance, it's gonna, it's gonna affect that area as well. Um, all right, let's move on to myth number three. The, the third myth we hear with digital patient engagement is that it's only for young patients. It's only patients under 65 can use the type of technology. Why do you think this is a myth, first of all? And, and, and maybe you can speak to how uh, we actually see it in, in, from the frontline experience. Yeah, I think a few things. I, I think one, one of the reasons um, is that I think we tend to underestimate um, some of the senior citizens in, in the population. Um, we often underestimate what they're capable of. So I think that's just an ongoing stereotype that, um, frankly, uh, should naturally go away because, you know, these stereotypes, you know, can older folks use technology have probably existed for uh, like 20, 30 years. Well, you know, people who were 30 or 40, 20 years ago are now 50, 60, right? So the people, you know, like the 65 year olds now, right? have had the internet since the 19, you know, the mid nineties or, or at least the early two thousands. Right. So if you're 65 now, you, you, you started the internet when you were 40 something. Um, and so a lot of 65 year olds I know personally are like very tech savvy. Right. Um, and that, that um, ease of use is only going to increase as, as this group, as you know, the, the baby boomers get older and older over the next you know, 20 years. So um, if any, even if these stereotypes were true, they're going away. They're absolutely going away just just through, through like the laws of time. Um, and I think the other piece too is that folks um, don't realize that there's different channels for engagement. So often I think Alan, you and I both talk to providers and when they hear about digital patient engagement, they kind of assume, oh, this is a smartphone only thing. Right. So if my patient doesn't have a smartphone or can't use it, um, that's it. It's like, well, no, there's other there's other mediums, right? It could be a, a tablet, like an iPad, so it's bigger, more useful, uh, or usable for, for certain folks. But also, you and I have talked about this, like something like Seamless on the web as well. Mm -hmm. And so we have some folks who do things on their, their browser, their laptop, or whatnot. And even the, the, the extreme case, which is there are some older folks who only have an iPad, mm -hmm. and they can use it, but they don't know their app store password. So they use the browser version of Seamless on their, on, on their iPad. So my, my point being that, yes, there's definitely barriers to access, but as long as you're multi-channel, multi-platform, you can reach a lot more of these patients than, than you would realize. Right. And for instance, with Seamless specifically, it doesn't have to be delivered through the app experience or delivered through even the web browser experience. It can be delivered through a text message or an email and then access through the web. Uh, no apps involved at all. If if that's the the route that we need to go, the other oh, piece and, that Alan, one more thing um, here, and, and this is where it gets, I think, potentially hip hypocritical. If you go down the route of no one's going to use this because it's 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 on you know phones, tablets, or computers, it's like well, number one, all these health systems have invested in websites for years. So if you truly believed it wasn't accessible, right. like why would you have a website? <laughs> Obviously, you think it's accessible. Right. Or two is why would you have a patient portal? obviously you think it's accessible enough to the, or at least enough that you should invest in one. Right. And if anything, Alan, like digital page engagement platforms like seamless have invested far more in accessibility than most patient portals, Absolutely. if not all of them. Yep. Like, I don't know how many patient portals 
meet health literacy guidelines or color blind tested, visual acuity tested. I mean, if anything, we've seen far higher, far higher adoption of seamless than the patient portals. So if you think they can use patient portals, 10 times more can use something like seamless. So I'm, I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying, not to toot our own horn, but, but we put in the time. Absolutely. I, I think just kind of rounding out this answer, um, what's neat about digital patient engagement is it's using technology that we have today. It's not some, you know, super advanced technology that's, you know, VR and AR and kind of next gen technologies that, you know, even younger folks wouldn't really understand or, or might need a bit of a learning curve. It's using the technology that we all have. So for instance, I saw a recent study, this is from the Pew Research Center, um, and they were looking at seniors over the age of 65, how many of them actually own a cell phone and a smartphone, and it's actually up to 85% now. So it's using technology that they use to connect, uh, they use to access information and connect with others, communicate with others. So it's just using that same technology and repurposing it. Um, and then the last piece that I'll add, and this is also specific to CMOSMD, um, around digital patient engagement, but the ability to enroll a caregiver as well. So if there is that extreme case of, you know, patient is 90 years old and they actually are not uh, on the internet, they're not using technology in that way, chances are they have a, a son or a daughter or, or someone in the family who can follow along with them using their own device. Uh, and we've, we've enabled that uh, caregiver function on the platform as well. Absolutely. Cool. Um, so we'll, we'll jump into myth number four. Um, this comes up sometimes uh, that my EHR or my EMR can do this already. Um, this is an interesting myth uh, because there are definitely some prominent technologies out there like Epic and Cerner, for instance, and they've built tools like MyChart and patient portals. Um, and I think these portals and, and these patient uh, applications are really good for certain things like lab results. Uh, there is some communication in there where they can get certain instructions from their providers. Do you want to expand on, on why this is a myth and, and what the, the, the reality is around this myth? Yeah, and I think what happens is if you if you talk to providers, right, and then you describe something like like digital patient engagement, in their minds, they go, okay, Alan is talking about a patient app. Oh, we have a patient app called, right. you know, Epic MyChart, for example. But to your point, the purpose of MyChart really is to be a portal, which is, like you said, access test results, um, maybe some secure messaging, maybe learn a bit more about um, things at the, at the health system or whatnot. But the way that we think about it is an application is just software, right? And there's so many different types of software to solve so many different purposes, right? I mean, imagine you had a, um, a computer and you had Microsoft Word on it and someone, you know, told you, oh, I have this idea for, you know, a spreadsheet software. You're like, oh, no, 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 I already have desktop software. It's called Microsoft Word. It's like, no, 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 right. it's a different use case, right? Um, so, so in the same way, I think people are starting to realize now that, hey, just because there's an app for a patient doesn't mean it does everything that I need to do with the patient. It'd be nice if it did, but the truth is that um, patients are complex and the the type of workflows and insights and not even just features, but know-how you need to, to have in a software to engage a patient is very different than the software needed to simply list test results. Frankly, it's, it's, it's much, much harder to engage a patient to change an outcome than, than to just show you know lab results, right? So, and I think organizations and providers are, are starting to realize that, um, but I can see why if you just think about it as a patient app, 
you feel like you already have one, maybe, if you have a, a patient portal that, that's working quite well. I will say, though, that, you know, we've heard across the board that adoption of patient portals is not not anywhere near as high as people want. You know, it's often in the maybe 20, 30, at best, 40% range is what I hear from, from providers. And I think part of the, whereas it's seamless, it's often, you know, 80, 90% plus adoption um, for patients. Why is that? And I think part of it is because something like seamless, number one, is obviously very, very well designed for, for patient engagement. But two is when you're getting seamless, it's because you're trying to deal with some important life event for your health, right? Maybe you're undergoing a surgery or, or some or cancer journey or chronic condition. So at that point in time, the patient is very primed to want to be engaged to manage something. Uh, plus the engagement is very strong on the platform, but you can imagine why, well, if I've if all I'm going to get out of this portal is access to uh, a potential test result in the future, right. what's my incentive to log on daily? What's my incentive to log in the first time, unless there's something I need to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think what's important to realize is number one, there's different use cases for patient engagement versus patient portals. And number two is it takes a very different set of, of um, you know, insights and workflows and algorithms and things to make patient engagement work, which is very different than, than having a patient portal even though it's in this container of an application. Right. right. It looks the same, totally different. It's, it's the same, uh, you know, persona who it's for, it's for patients. So, it, you know, in your mind, you're going to categorize it the same way. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, another point that I'll just add here, um, those, those leading EHRs that I mentioned, Epic and Cerner, for instance, they've even recognized that there's a gap that digital patient engagement is solving a different problem or it's going after a different use case than the different apps and the different software that they've built. Um, and so, for instance, with Epic, they've created what is called the App Orchard and Cerner has created the code program. Uh, and in both of these use cases, in both of these kind of online catalogs, they've included Seamless MD as a recommended digital patient engagement platform that integrates really nicely with Epic and Cerner. Um, but that's because they realized this is kind of like an add-on to the Epic uh, experience for providers on the patient side. This is an add-on for them. Same thing with Cerner. This is an add-on to what the uh, core product can do. Myth number five, uh, and this comes up actually quite frequently, this is my nurses can do exactly what digital patient engagement does. And this is an interesting one because uh, I think the short answer to this is yes, a a nurse or or a person could do pretty much exactly what digital patient engagement does. Uh, The caveat is that it would take probably 24 hours a day, every single day, uh, and, and it's definitely not scalable. But Maybe let's dig in a little bit more into that answer and and really kind of debunk this myth. Um, I think a good place to start is understanding what the different functions of digital patient engagement is and what does it actually do. Do you want to kick that off? I feel like you're you're able to kind of describe that really nicely. Yeah, I mean, one one thing is that everything on on something like Seamless is available 24-7. So, I mean, the fact that a patient could wake up at 3 in the morning and get questions answered on the platform or, or log an issue or, or look up something. Um, and if you multiply that by how many patients you might have on the, on the platform, yeah, even that alone gets unsustainable. Um, the fact that there's um, messages sent to the patient on a schedule, right? Reminding them of when to you know, stop blood thinners, when to do certain exercises, how to manage your diet, when to show up for you know, certain preoperative appointments, for example, 
there's just so many things in the protocol that, that the patients have to follow and a, a platform like Seamless MD can just keep them on track with those steps. To your point, yes, a nurse could call a patient or text the patient manually every time they need to do those things, um, but that's just very, very labor intensive. And then there's, you know, collecting data from the patient, collecting patient report outcomes, collecting data on compliance and instructions, collecting data postoperatively on is the patient feeling well, what's their you know, temperature, what is their pain looking like, nausea, vomiting, all kinds of other issues. Um, and again, you're right, they, you could call a patient, maybe get some of these things, and then have to give them feedback on what to do. And then, and then of course, you got to document this, right, Alan? So then you gotta, you got to go in the chart, you got to record all these symptoms, you got to turn into a graph. Um, and so the point is that theoretically, a staff member could do all these things. And, and I think to some extent they do, right? There are some programs where a nurse might call a patient to remind them of something or to capture data about patient progress or see how they're doing. But even in the few cases where this does happen, often this doesn't even happen, but in the few cases that it does because you're a better resource organization, it only happens a few times in the patient journey, right? So maybe you get a call, couple of days before surgery to remind you to do one or two things, right? Or maybe you get a, a post-discharge 48-hour phone call when you go home to check in on how you're doing, but that same provider is not calling you day three, four, five, six, seven, all the way to 30. They're calling you once. Right. And great if you're doing well on you know day two, but if something happens to you on day seven or 10 or 15 when you go home, no one's calling you then. And so these are all, to your point, theoretical things that a staff member could do. And, so, and some of it they, they might be doing, but usually they're not doing all of this stuff and they're not doing this frequently. And right. digital patient engagement lets you do it at scale. Yep. There was also a, a study that we did with uh, McGill University. And I think this was either, this could have been the first study in 2015 or the, the follow-up in 2017. And I might be mixing up. Uh, which one it's from, but uh, they found that on the, the using digital patient engagement and specifically CMOS MD, they were able to collect 50% additional data from a patient compared to an in-person auditor. And that could just simply be, you know, maybe there is a checklist that a nurse or, or a PA is running through and asking of every patient, but there's patients with unique comorbidities. Maybe you need to change some of the questions because of that profile. Um, there's also just additional questions that may not have come up in the moment to, to think about. Um, and it could be, you know, things like on digital patient engagement, you're able to collect things like opioid use and then consumption post-discharge. So how many pills did a patient actually take? And what's neat, digital patient engagement, because we don't have to manually add all of this data into the patient's chart and run graphs separately and do all this work, digital patient engagement does this automatically. So providing real-time dashboards on any type of complication that a patient might have. Like you said, it's not just post-op day two that we're calling, but we're actually finding out every single day for let's say 30 days post-op uh, post what's going on with the patient. So providing those dashboards that kind of flag any potential complication, showing any type of population trend. So if we're looking at pain scores across the population, that's, you know, real time, we're able to see that very quickly. Same thing with, like I mentioned, opioid use, measuring that for the population. Pretty much any type of patient reported outcome is gonna be tracked automatically and then uh, the trend for the population can be displayed automatically as well. Um, and then I think the, the last point that I, I have for this, uh, for this myth 
on nurses can do what digital patient engagement does, is if we look to the future of digital patient engagement, so we're collecting all of this data, we can now combine it with the historical outcomes data. And with those two data sets together, you can train models to predict maybe in a lot better in real time, what is the risk of a readmission, for instance? What's the percentage that this patient is actually gonna come back to the hospital? And I think you'd be hard pressed to find a nurse that can do all of this data collection, all of this data entering, uh, as well as tracking each and every patient that they have. It's just not scalable uh, in my eyes to then do that kind of next step that's needed for a digital healthcare. Yeah, on top of that, a couple more things to add to that, Alan. I mean, from a, how do we do this at scale point of view, one of, the, one of the powerful things about technology is being able to do things in a very standardized way. So, I mean, imagine as an organization, or even just as a department, you've decided to change a protocol step, right? And you have staff members, whether it's nursing, PAs, physicians, whoever it is, um, often they're rotating in or out. If you're an academic center, you have like residents and students and trainees. And so often, not everyone is equally trained on changes in protocols. Um, so the fact that on a platform, you could just change the protocol once and make sure every patient gets the protocol change, or if you want to start collecting a new data point, be able to just program that once into the platform and not have to train every staff member to collect this new data point. It's just being able to operate at scale and be nimble and dynamic in, in how you're caring for patients is, is frankly impossible if you're doing everything manually. Right. It's just like the overhead of training everyone and making everyone consistent. It's just, it's, it's impossible to, to do properly. And, and then the other point I'll just add is like, everyone always wants every provider to be um, being able to perform at the, at the, what do you call it, at the highest level of care that they can provide, right? So, you know, yes, like a frontline provider, like a, a, such as a nurse or a PA or even a physician could theoretically, you know, call a patient, deliver the, the, the educational reminder or collect the patient reported outcomes survey data. Sure. But, um, why not have that person take care of the sick acute patient issues that only they can take care of instead of having them do these things that can be automated? Mm-hmm. You know, frankly, you're, you're able to let them operate more at the top of their game than having them take care of these tasks that, that frankly, a platform could. Um, so there's those, those benefits as well, just getting the most out, out of the team. Team and and you've already mentioned it, but um, just to it's a small change in there as well. Uh, the team op, uh, performing optimally and and the right information standardized. Also, education booklets. So, for instance, paper. If we're giving our patients all of these different pages of of instructions and education, it's a maybe not going to be the most tailored to that particular patient. Uh, whether it's comorbidities related or nuances in their actual procedure. And then B, if there is a change that needs to be done to the education, are we going to go out and print, you know, thousands of new resources, new materials every year to keep up with the, the best practices? Or again, is it one change in the back end and it updates for everybody? Uh, so not just people, but also the materials that we're giving out as well. Absolutely. Myth number six that we have, uh, and we hear this, especially in the earlier days, but even today, uh, it's easy to go out and build our own app or our own digital uh, patient engagement tool. We can hire a development shop and we can build it ourselves and, and, and do it ourselves. And to that, uh, the first thing that I'll say is you definitely can. You, you absolutely can go out and build an app really quickly these days uh, You know, with the right amount of money or, or not even money, just time. It, it's not too complicated to build 
an app. Uh, but I think beyond there, there's a there's a whole level of different intricacies that come down to what an, an actual successful digital patient engagement platform is. Um, do you want to talk to some of the the differences in in terms of a, a particular company versus building it yourself or a dev shop? Yeah, I think Alan, the way I look at it is um, using Seamless MD as an example. You know, we've been in business for about seven years now, right? Which means that we've spent you know, millions and millions um, in research and development and engineering and design and things like that. It means that we've spent tens of thousands of hours developing, iterating, rebuilding parts of the platform. Much of this based on learnings from, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of patients and providers, both qualitative feedback and um, insights from the data of all the patient interactions on the platform. And so my, my, my point being that, um, if it was just as simple as make it once in a few months to a half a year, or even a year and set it and forget it. And you're never going to have to touch code again or make changes to the user experience or all these things. You know, if that's all it took, we wouldn't have had to spend millions of dollars ongoing in R and D and tens of thousands of hours or, or more of people time to continuously improve the platform. Clearly there's a reason we're doing that, which is because, there's always new functionalities that we're building to advance the platform to meet the demands of providers and patients and, and, and all kinds of novel ways to, to improve patient outcomes. So the so first point is that, yeah, you could build probably a very lightweight solution that has like, frankly, mediocre engagement, maybe even like no real change in outcomes. A lot of groups have done that. And then they kind of realize, whoa, this is actually harder than we thought. Mm. Um, and so if all you wanted to do, if, if your goal was to just have a patient app that showed information on it, that theoretically could capture data, you could spend, you know, 50, hundred K probably, or maybe a bit more to do that. But if your goal was to actually get high patient adoption and change in outcomes, and you want to actually meet all kinds of requirements that you know, you're going to need like EHR integration, advanced functionalities, advanced workflows, all these things, it's going to be, you're, it's going to be hard to do that. And, and I'll give you an analogy, Alan. It's um, okay. Yes, I could, I could, I could theoretically hire some developers to build a, a much crappier version of zoom or Microsoft word or, what, or pick your software application. But, but like, why would I, right? Like, why would I want to spend, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars, to create a much worse version of something that I can basically rent through software as a mm -hmm. service that's going to keep getting better. Right. right? And then there's a whole lot of other things you get into Alan around like, okay, well, even if I build it, how do I get patients adopting this? Right. I can tell you, we have seven years of trial and error to figure out what's the playbook to get patients to use this and providers to engage. Mm -hmm. Right. We, we have, you know, ongoing maintenance we're doing on a security platform maintenance point of view. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and et cetera, et cetera. So actually Josh, I, th yeah. I think ma maintenance is a, a really fair point as well with the Microsoft word example, you know, on my laptop, uh, I updated the operating system and all of a sudden Microsoft word didn't work anymore until I went and realized, oh, there's an update for word as well. And they download the update and then it works again. But same thing would happen presumably with an app that you build. As soon as the new iPhone comes out, the new phones come out and patients get a hold of those devices, 
your app might not work on these new devices anymore. So maintenance and updates, that also applies. Yeah, and, and like, I mean, I, I don't think we should be naive that thinking that if we just do this once, that it, 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 let's say you didn't have to deal with like the operating system needing change and having to update it, right? You're right, that, that is true. But like, are we really that naive to think that your the frontline providers won't be expecting improvements in the platform? Mm-hmm. So that's got to come from somewhere. And so are you going to hire an entire engineering team dedicated to this platform to basically build this platform, interview patients constantly, look at the data, basically, frankly, build a company inside the organization? Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you the development shop's not going to do that. The development shop is incentivized to push out that one-time application, get paid for it, move on to the next project. Right. Um, and I can tell you that uh, it would cost them millions and millions and millions of dollars to get something anywhere, hopefully not even as close as seamless, let alone right. another like five plus years to get there. You could, I mean, like, why would you? It doesn't, I mean, just, it doesn't make sense. And I think what we find a lot of providers, once they've gone through that journey and they realize, right. oh, like this is a lot more complicated than I realize, there's a good reason why we don't try to build Microsoft Word in-house. Right. It's the same for, for, for healthcare technology solutions. It's no different. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Um, our last myth that we got is uh, digital patient engagement is only valuable with big amounts of data or artificial intelligence or machine learning. And I think this is an interesting myth because they're, the word only is only valuable is kind of the mistake here is the myth. Uh, it is certainly valuable and even more valuable with artificial intelligence, with machine learning, with big data sets. That's, there's no one arguing that point. Um, I think you know creating accurate models based on real-time readmission prediction makes a lot of sense based on lots and lots of data uh, to make improvements to the platform. Even when we were explaining myth number six about developing the app, you know, leveraging real patient feedback, that makes sense. That's going to make a better uh, technology. Um, so I don't have a problem with the idea that big data and machine learning and artificial intelligence, uh, it makes the app better or more valuable. But the myth really comes down to uh, certain people who think that digital patient engagement is only as good as the data that it has. Do you want to speak to a little bit about this? Because I know that you're uh, currently working with Seamless MD to, on the, uh, the supercluster initiative, kind of building this, this future here. But um, what are your thoughts on, on this myth? Oh, I mean, I mean, we know it's a myth because, um, you know, even without using a lot of machine learning, you know, previously in the platform, we still got fantastic outcomes. I mean, the idea is that if you can just get patients following their instructions more closely, they get better outcomes, right? We have lots of data showing that by simply engaging a patient digitally with no real AI involved, but getting them prompted to follow the right instructions properly length of stay is shorter because they're recovering faster. They're mobilizing earlier. They're managing their pain better. They're better, um, they're prehab before surgery better. Or then even just, I mean, after, after discharge, it's, I mean, it's common sense, right? But if you could simply just keep an eye on a patient's symptoms, their recovery status, and call them if they're starting to fall off track, call them if their temperature's starting to trend up, if their pain's starting to trend up, and then manage that issue earlier before it leads to a readmission, you know, you can you know, keep them healthy at home. None of this requires machine learning. Right. It's, it's really just using technology to better support a patient, frankly. Um, but, but to your point, Alan, absolutely. I think there's huge opportunities with um, AI machine learning and 
um, and leveraging all the data that we collect to enhance this even more. But I think folks who are waiting for that that moment are really missing out on on how much value there is from the the foundational layer of digital patient engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's uh, you, you don't need you don't need you know a really really intelligent system to get really big benefit from engaging the patient digitally. We we we've proven it. Um, yeah, exactly. I I think like you know obviously everybody's talking right now about new bundled payment programs and the the changes that CMS made. Um, And really what it comes down to is can we perform better on outcomes like length of stay on readmissions on uh, the amount of patients going to let's say like a skilled nursing facility, can we improve on those outcomes and using the current technology. So not even AI, not even machine learning, we've proven that's possible. You can certainly reduce those outcomes, reduce phone calls, you know, optimize the workflow just with the current technologies. And then what's kind of beautiful about everything in digital patient engagement is by implementing it with a current version of, you know, just getting the patients the right information, the right time, um, you're able to then collect your own data. And so you're collecting data with the tools that you have at hand. And so then that future where big data and artificial intelligence and machine learning makes everything greater, you're actually contributing to that future for yourself because you're collecting the data now. So it's, it's, you know, I used to think of it kind of as a chicken or the egg thing, but I, I really do see it as this is step one. Step two is, you know, you need the data to get there. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, and it's great that people are being very visionary about what you could do with all the data. Um, but I think what where we've seen the biggest success with our health system partners is more about less about who's visionary about you know patient engagement 10.0. It's about who's nimble enough to capture the lowest hanging fruit, put into practice, make it feasible and practical inside the clinical workflow, get it into the hands of patients. Frankly, those are the ones who are most successful because um, the technology isn't so much the hard part, right? It's the change management. It's mm-hmm. It's getting this into the workflow. It's rallying providers around this new initiative. Like that's really, for some organizations, the more challenging part, to be honest, that yep. the tech stuff is doable, right? Um, has to be good tech, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But, but once you've once you picked a good um, technology partner, it's all about um, change management. Um, and I can tell you that, that there is definitely a correlation between how engaged providers are in the initiative and how engaged patients are. Absolutely. It goes with any intervention. Um, The enthusiasm, the involvement, the engagement of the providers has a huge impact on adoption of of, of digital patient engagement or or video visits and other technologies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, I just want to add kind of a a shameless self-promotion here, but our uh, ninth episode of the Seamless MD podcast uh, was on the best practices for implementing digital patient engagement. And I think you can replace the word digital patient engagement with, you know, another technology, if it's a, a video visit software or something like that. But uh, I think the best practices in there in that episode in particular kind of speak to exactly what you're talking about here is how do we work that change management? How do we go about uh, figuring out what is the right steps to take uh, in order to make change in the hospital setting? Uh, and so I think that's a really good episode to highlight as well. Um, but I think we can end this here. We, that, those are kind of the, the top seven myths that we hear all the time about digital patient engagement. Uh, and I hope that there was some value 
uh, in, in us taking the time to debunk some of these myths and maybe clarify a few definitions here and there. Um, it definitely helps me think better about the technology and, and understand where it fits in with virtual care and, and how it's you know maybe perceived as a telemedicine platform and also what we can do in the future with the technology as well. Um, so thanks, Josh. Thanks for joining the show today. Uh, thanks for talking about some of these myths and, and uh, really blessing our audience and myself with some of this knowledge and wisdom that you've picked up uh, over the hey, years. I mean, likewise, Al. I always learn when I'm talking to you about this stuff. And I think it's nice that we get a chance to, to really think out loud and, and kind of massage some of these ideas together. So I appreciate you, you taking the time as well. Thanks for having Definitely. me. Amazing. Thanks, Josh. We'll see All you right. next time. See you, Alan.